begin by apologizing. I understand that the title of this week's sermon, Get Down, confused some people who thought we were going to have a dance party this morning. But it's okay. I straightened Kevin out. I made him take off all the polyester. However, I still don't know what we're going to do about the changes he made to the church office. The new floor is growing on me, though. The title Get Down does, in a way, I guess, have to do with dancing. It has to do with the relational dance that we kind of do with one another. It's less about getting down on the dance floor and more about... Did you cut me off, Bill? Really? I'm just starting. It will get better. Am I back? There you go. All right. Am I still on? Am I there? Am I there? All right. Getting down has to do less with the dance floor and more with humility. You know, last week we heard Paul challenge the church in Philippi and the church on Chestnut Street to humility. To a humility that will protect our unity. A humility that will allow us to stand united against all of the forces that would threaten to divide us. And this week, we hear Paul offer us for us the ultimate example of humility. The example of Jesus Christ himself. And church, Christ's pattern teaches us and his person enables us to get down. And the question for you and for me today is... Are we ready to dance? Let's pray. Lord, help us to get down. Help us, Lord, humble us. Because, Lord, we are putting ourselves too often on pedestals, on thrones. Too often we exalt ourselves and we look down on others. And so you invite us, get down. Get down. And you don't just invite us. Christ has come and set the example for us of getting down, of humbling self, and becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Lord, help us. Help us not just to see, but to live that example. We give ourselves now to the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to pick up where we left off. Well, we're going to reread the first four verses that we discussed last week, and we'll let them lead us into today's passage. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's page 1165. Otherwise, synchronize your Bible apps or your personal Bibles. Philippians chapter 2, starting at the beginning of chapter 2. And it says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Amen. As we discussed last week in verse two, Paul calls the church in Philippi and the church here on Chestnut Street to be of the same mind. It says here in in verse 2, be of the same mind, have the same love, be in full accord and of one mind. The same mind, the same outlook, the same habit of thinking, the same disposition of being. Have the same mind. And what is that mind? What is that disposition? What is that way of thinking and being towards one another? We read it in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves. Your disposition, your habit of thought is to be as Jesus' was. Think as he thought. Be disposed as he was. Act as he did. Paul seems to be referring both to Christ's pattern and to his person. Both to Christ's pattern and to his person. All right, what does that mean? Well, we clearly have a pattern. Christ gave us a pattern of humility, an example for us to follow. We saw how he was. We watched how he acted. We read about how he related. That example is the pattern of what we should do. The problem is, if all we have is the pattern, if all we have is his example, that doesn't mean we're able to do it, does it? You know, as I've done more and more running, I've listened to books by runners and I've watched the example of some amazing runners. But despite the amazing example of runners like Eli, of Eliud Kipchoge, who completed a marathon last year in under two hours, I still barely break four hours when I run a marathon. And if all I have is his pattern, no matter how inspired I am by his pattern of running, there's no guarantee I'm going to match that pattern, is there? No matter how perfect his example, it doesn't mean now I can reach and copy that example on my own. However, what if I could somehow be united in person with him so that as he ran his two sub two hour marathon, I somehow was running that marathon in him or with him. It wouldn't just be about me emulating his pattern, but somehow united with his person, united with him as he breaks the two sub two hour marathon. Because you see, that's what the gospel is. That's what the good news is. It says we don't just have the pattern of Jesus, what he's done. We actually are united with the person of Jesus. If all we have is Christ's example, then we can end up despairing, can't we? Because we watch Christ run and we go, I can't keep that pace. We watch him humble himself. We go, I can't humble myself like that. No matter how hard I run, no matter how humble I try to be, I can't match what Jesus did. Just having the pattern isn't enough. It's good, but it doesn't help us achieve that. We're unable to live the way he lived and to love the way he loved and to humble ourselves the way he humbled himself. If all we have is the pattern, that doesn't mean you and I have the power to then do it. So the gospel, the good news is that by faith, we're united with Christ. So we don't just have his pattern to follow. We're actually united with the person. It's like Christ is running humility and we run in him. 
He gives us the strength. He gives us the power. Verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. By faith, you're united with him. And if you're united with him, then his attitude, his disposition, his mind is yours. You're in him. His mind is in you. Christ can do what we could never do alone. We're united with him as he runs the marathon of humility. We're united with his power, so we're able to humble ourselves just as he has. Church, the gospel, the good news, is that we not only have Christ's pattern, but we're united with his person, which makes us able to match that pattern in a way that we can't do by ourselves. We can't keep up. But Christ in us, us in Christ, can. This makes getting down possible. We observe Christ's pattern. We're united with Christ's person. And so we're able to get down as Christ got down to become humble towards one another, just like he's done. And Paul goes on in verses 6 through 11 to offer us this beautiful hymn. I love reading this. and I can't help reading it. And I, I, get, I find myself worked up as I'm reading it. It's such a beautiful, beautiful hymn celebrating the humility of Christ. Christ. And whether Paul wrote this hymn or whether this was an early hymn of the church that Paul is simply quoting for us, it's a poetic and beautiful celebration of how Christ got down, how he became humble of his perfect humility. And now this passage is what's technically called a horatory discourse, which is a really fancy way of saying that it's focused more on changing our behavior than teaching doctrine. It's not to say that anything is incorrect in this passage, but it's to say that Paul's intent in giving us this beautiful hymn is not so much for our minds to dissect it as for our lives to absorb it. His point in giving us this hymn is not to fill our brains, but to shape our hearts. This is not so much meant to make us knowledgeable as it's meant to make us more Christ-like. And church, as you listen to these words and as you reflect on them, How might these words shape you? This hymn is motivation, is an example to set aside our own interests, just as Christ did, so that we will humbly get down as Christ himself did. And the purpose of the hymn, while it's not primarily to teach theology, this this hymn is rich. It is rich in theology, and we need to make some notes of it. For example, verse 6 unequivocally tells us that Jesus is divine. It says right here in verse 6, Jesus is said to share the form or the nature of God and to be equal with God. This hymn agrees with the so many other places we have in the New Testament that affirm that Jesus is God. Friends, this is important. Jesus is not another God. Jesus is not a lesser God. Jesus is not a special creation of God. Jesus is not a human become God. Jesus is not a human bestowed with the spirit of God. Jesus is God himself. And friends, the identity of Jesus as fully God is a fundamental truth of our faith. Because to believe anything differently about Jesus is to believe an entirely other Jesus. The only true Jesus is the Jesus who is God. And Paul celebrates that Jesus was not just like God. Jesus shares the very form, the very nature of God. Jesus was not just close to God. Jesus was equal to God. Jesus is divine. He is God. And that makes what he did all the more incredible. 
verse 7 celebrates that this Jesus, God himself refused to grasp at or cling to the privilege and advantage of being God. But Jesus got down. He emptied himself of privilege and advantage. He took the form of the servant, took on our human flesh. Theologians call this incarnation, Latin for in the flesh. The passage makes clear Jesus didn't empty himself of his divinity somehow. He didn't become less God. This is not talking about what Jesus subtracted. It's talking about what Jesus added. Jesus got down humbling self and by taking on the form, the nature, the flesh of a servant. It's like we sang this morning. The king of all days, oh so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above. But did he stay there? No. Humbly, you came to the earth you created. And all for love's sake became poor. The exalted and glorious King of all days, the eternal God, did not cling to his advantage and privilege of being God, but he got down, humbling himself, taking the nature of a servant, making himself poor, emptying himself of advantage and privilege. Why? So that he could serve you. And so he could serve me. Jesus even came and he taught us, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, how incredible. How incredible is this? The all-glorious, all-powerful, highly exalted God set aside advantage and privilege and he got down, emptying himself and taking on the form of a servant to serve us. But church... Christ's humiliation didn't stop there. Look at verse 8. He continues, being found in a human form, he humbled himself even further. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How did Jesus come to serve us most perfectly? By dying our death, by taking our place on the cross. Friends, Jesus didn't come and die with dignity. He didn't pass peacefully in his sleep. He didn't die respectfully of old age. Jesus died the most violent and humiliating death known. Crucifixion was the ultimate indignity. There was no death so excruciating, no death so degrading and humiliating. And more than that, Galatians 3.13, quoting Deuteronomy, says, Cursed is anyone who's hanged on a tree. He came, he got down, he suffered the most humiliating, dehumanizing, horrible type of death known to the world at that time. And he became a curse for us. He took upon himself our sin and our shame, and he served us by bearing that sin, dying our death, paying the price, taking the curse for us. And so it is that we celebrated this morning in song, Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice. You became nothing, poured out to death. And many times I've wondered at your gift of life. I'm in that place once again. Because once again, I look on the cross where you died and I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside. And once again, I thank you. Once again, I pour out my life. Because he poured out his life first. He emptied himself, letting go of advantage and privilege. And then emptied himself of his very life, pouring it out for us. And now we, in response, follow that pattern and pour out our lives in love for him and for one another. We remember his pattern, his example. But more than that, by faith, we're joined to his person. And so we, too, 
are called to get down and to pour our lives humbly for one another. Paul offers us this profoundly beautiful and powerful reflection on the humiliation of Christ to stir our hearts so that you and I will get down. So we get down off our high horses, get down off our thrones, get knocked down off of our pedestals, to get down and humbly serve one another. Just as Jesus Christ got down and humbly served us. You know, his pattern inspires us. But our unity with his person empowers us. So now we're able to get down and practice humility towards each other. In fact, one author, one author that I was reading this week said, the main evidence that we're growing in Christ is not exhilarating prayer experiences. It's steadily increasing humble love for one another. Hear that again. The main evidence that we're growing in Christ is not exhilarating prayer experiences, but steadily increasing humble love for other people. The best gauge of our growth in Christ is not traveling up in ecstatic experience. It's getting down in humble service. Your spiritual growth is gauged best not according to your experiences, but according to your service. Growth is not measured by how high you climb, but by how low you get down. Spiritual stature is not measured in hallelujahs as much as it's measured in humility. One of the eight things that's measured by the discipleship assessment that we're inviting everyone to take is the measurement of serving God and others. The material says Jesus set an example for his followers of being willing to serve them. Christ-like transformation is evident when personal needs and even dreams are set aside for the needs we see in others. Personal dreams and needs set aside for the needs that we see in others. Christ didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Humility empties itself, setting needs, dreams, comfort, preference, pride, privilege, time, money aside for the sake of one another. And church, will we do the same? We saw an example of this yesterday in the 15 plus people who gave up their Saturday morning to help Gordon and Mary Waite move. There were many other things those people could have been doing with their Saturday morning. But they set aside their needs and their desires, and they put the needs of Gordon and Mary above their own. We see the example in those who give up their own comfort and experience on Sunday mornings to serve our children in nursery or in children's church. Spiritual greatness is not best seen by the people up here. I believe spiritual greatness is best seen or not seen by the people who are serving right now behind the scenes, who are not as celebrated as the people that stand in front of you. That's humility. That's service. And humble service is a truer measure of spiritual growth than ecstatic spiritual experience. Christ humbled himself to serve. And we now have his pattern and his person that we might do the same. And the question, church, is will we? Pastor A.W. Tozer wrote, Because Christ came to the world clothed in humility, he'll always be found among those who are clothed with humility. He'll always be found among the humble people. I like that. But it makes me ask, if he'll be found amongst the humble people, will Christ find a home amongst us? 
will Christ find a home with you? Because church, as we talked about last week, pride divides us and humility unites us. Without humility, marriages are torn asunder, relationships break down, and churches split. The pattern of Christ must inspire us and the person of Christ must empower us so that each one of us gets down just as Christ got down to serve. And so how are we doing? How are you doing? When and how do you struggle to set aside your own needs, your own desires, your own opinions, to give another person prominence or priority? Are you insecure about the accomplishments of others because you fear they might somehow diminish you? Are you quick to compliment others? Are you slow to honor and express appreciation for others? Must you always win? Can I ask your husband or wife? Do you always need to be right? Do you need to always know what's best? Can you let go when somebody disagrees with you or believes you're not right? Do you struggle to forgive because a proud person can never forgive? Will you only submit and follow others when others lead and they decide and act the way you believe that they should? Are you quick to see failure and point out fault in others, but maybe not so quick to admit your own? And couples, how do you relate to your spouse when she expresses a need? How do you relate to him when he forgets again? How do you relate when she points out a fault or when he makes a request? Do you gird yourself with your own humility or your own, you're proving yourself right, that is, or do you take up humility and serve the other? Parents, how do you respond when your children inconvenience you, when they embarrass you, when they cost you, when their needs and their wants pull you away and your attention and your resources from what you want and what you think you need? With what attitude do you quickly clothe yourself? I know I might be too quick to clothe myself with irritation rather than humiliation. How about you? Husbands, wives, church, unless we decide to clothe ourselves with such humility towards one another, we'll never have harmony. Pride and selfishness will divide us. Humility unites us. How do you need to get down? And notice Paul ends this hymn on a soaring note like I read. Paul Jesus came to us in humiliation, but the end of this hymn says his humiliation ends in exaltation. His humiliation ends in exaltation. He got down and God lifted him up. Look at those last verses again. I love them. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. It's just as we sang this morning, the head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory. Now, the savior knelt to wash our feet and now at his feet we bow. The one who wore our sin and shame is now robed in majesty. He's the radiance of perfect love, shines for all to see. He was humbled, but now he's exalted. He was crowned with thorns, but now is crowned with glory. He bowed at our feet to wash them, and we bow at his feet now to worship. He was humbled that he might be exalted. And notice verse 11, that most importantly, his humiliation and his exaltation results in glory to God. Verse 11, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we get down, not only are we lifted up by God, but most importantly, God is lifted up. Our humility brings God glory. 
Church, our pride draws attention to ourselves. Our pride divides God's church and brings shame on his name. Our pride diverts us from building God's kingdom to constructing our own little kingdoms. Humility will bring God glory. Will your life glorify him? Church, the surest way up is down. Get down and he will lift you up. As James writes, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourself before all others. Don't lift yourself up. Get down and humble yourself and he will lift you up. Pastor Brian Wilkerson told a story from Taylor University, which is a Christian college in Indiana. Years ago, before it was more commonplace for international students to come to the U.S. to study, Taylor University learned that an African student named Sam was going to be enrolling in their school. He was a bright young man. He was full of potential. And when he came, the president of the university himself met Sam and took him on a tour, showing him all of the dorms and showing him all the facilities. And when the tour was over, the president asked Sam, having seen all of the dorms, where would you like to live? And Sam looked at the president of the university and he said, if there's a room that no one else wants, then give that room to me. And the president turned away in tears because over all of the years that he'd welcomed thousands of Christian men and women to that campus, none had ever made such a request. If there's a room that no one wants, give that room to me. If there's a job that no one wants, I'll do that job. If there's a person no one wants to eat lunch with, I'll eat with that person. If there's a smaller portion, I'll take that portion. If there's a chair that's less comfortable, I'll take that chair. If there's a decision of preference, I'll yield my rights. If there's a parking space far away from the church building, I'll park in that parking space. If there's a time less convenient for people, I'll take that time. If there's a hardship that has to be endured, I'll endure that hardship. If there's a sacrifice that needs to be made, I'll make that sacrifice. Is that your attitude? Is that my attitude? Because that was Christ's attitude. This is the attitude that will bring Christ glory. This is the attitude that will unite us together. If there's a room no one wants, give that room to me. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Get down, and God will lift you up. Church, you've seen the pattern, and more importantly, you are united by faith with the person of Jesus. What do you need to set aside? How do you need to empty yourself? Who will you serve? And how will you, this week, get down that God himself might be lifted up. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to get down. Get down off our high horses. Get down off our thrones. Get knocked down off of our pedestals. That we might understand what humility is. Thank you for the example of Christ, but more than his example, thank you for the person of Jesus Christ that makes that example a possibility. Now, Lord, help us to live it. In Jesus' name, amen.